0: Welcome to the Balanced Body Podcast. I'm Ashley Mazurik. And thanks for listening today. We have a special guest. Our special guest is Amy Gendron. Is that how you say that? Gendron. Gendron. Yeah. Gendron. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) She is an acupuncturist. And what I, I, I asked Amy to come on today so that we could learn about acupuncture. I, I, don't know a lot about acupuncture. So I've been to an acupuncturist, but I want I brought her on so that we could get a little bit more clear on what it is to be an acupuncturist. And if you need one, who should go see one? So she's going to enlighten us today. I use the word enlighten. Welcome. And thanks for being here, Amy. Thank you. So first we're going to start out by give us a little bit of history. How long you've been doing this acupuncture?
1: I've been in private practice for eight years now.
0: For eight years. And then prior to that, what what led you to wanting to become an acupuncturist?
1: So I had a neck injury where I couldn't turn my head to my left side. And um, I was managing a wine bar at the time. And the friend um, was an ER doctor. And he kind of scared me and said that if I left my neck frozen like that, my muscles would atrophy. And, you know, I was very holistic. Even then I didn't take medication. So, um, after a few days of being afraid, I finally took whatever he prescribed me. Um, it could have been a muscle relaxer. I'm not quite sure, but, um, my neck opened up on the left and then it froze on the right. And what he told me was that it was physiologically impossible. Um, that if I went into the ER saying that they would assume I was a pill seeker. Mm. And so, um, I didn't really have any options left, but one of my friends actually referred me to her acupuncturist. And, um, I was a little bit afraid of needles, a lot afraid of needles, actually. Wow. Yeah. But, um, I went to this acupuncturist and he did a couple other things as well. So I think probably what was called applied kinesiology was what he was doing with me and, um, determined that my gallbladder needed to be flushed. And so, he sent me home with a, like a cleanse essentially to do mm. and, um, never charged me, just sent me on my way. said, you don't need me just go home and do this. Mm. So I went home and I did the flush and the next morning I could turn my head to both sides. It was one day. Wow. And, um, there were some other symptoms that I didn't even explain to him, um, that also went away. Like I had these bumps on the back of my arms and, um, I don't remember what else was specifically standing out at the time, but. I went back to him and I was like, what did you do to me? I don't even understand how this works. And um, he just kind of laughed and said, you know, I did what I do. And then I said, well, how about my menstrual cramps? How about my migraines? How about all these other things that I have going on? And um, one by one, he just kind of knocked them off. So I became really curious about how. So after I had such good results, I went back to find out how this was helping me. And then Um, started throwing some different things at the acupuncturist, like my menstrual pain and I had migraines and I had allergies and everything that I brought to him, he just kind of knocked off one by one. So um, being the curious person that I am, I started doing some research um, at the library, looking at books and that type of thing. And then my internet searches started to target me with ads to study Chinese medicine. And that's how I got into it. So how how does that, how did that heal all that? Do
0: you know? Well, yes. Well, obviously now, you know, explain it to us. How? So you had migraines, headaches, you had PMS. How does acupuncture help that?
1: What I believe my initial diagnosis would have been had he, had I, you know, seen those records, would be that I would have liver gallbladder stagnation. So he had me do a gallbladder flush, which cleared out stagnant, <clears throat> stagnant bile. Um, you know, you can say that physically. In terms of Chinese medicine, the channel that runs up the side of the neck to the head, um, which is where I would get my migraines as well, is the gallbladder channel. So I, I think that's probably where that, um, where that original blockage was, it's also, uh, responsible liver cheese stagnation is also responsible for a lot of menstrual pain. Mm. And, um, you know, sort of like the mind body aspect of that is I was an athlete growing up. And so my, my menstrual cycles were an inconvenience to me playing because, you know, um, it could cause pain and when I first started menstruating, I had a lot of pain. And so if there was something that was gonna keep me out of being able to practice, it was a very negative thing for me. Um, So I was put on birth control at a really young age because they didn't know what to do with it. Mm. So um, anyway, so my point is, is that that sort of like suppression of things and like restricting the flow that restriction of flow, um, creates a stagnation in the body. And, you know, fast forward to some of the other work that I've done as a doula, that's one of the first places a woman will stop flow. It's kind of like, um, through the uterus, like a woman won't progress in labor and that type of thing. If she's fearful or kind of like holding back in some way. So I think just for me being, um, being an athlete, trying to go, at the pace that I was um, without allowing myself to be feminine was kind of what was blocking me. So because I'm, I consider myself to be a holistic practitioner,
0: you said something very interesting that I am attracted to in that you said certain feelings created stagnation. Mm -hmm. And so as an acupuncturist, do all of acupuncturists believe that feelings create visceral energy,
1: lack of flow issues? Yes, 100%. <clears throat> oh,
0: they do. Mm-hmm.
1: Whether or not they integrate that into their practice and really like get into it, is, um, it varies greatly among practitioners. But yeah, it's 100% a part of Chinese medicine. It's mind, body, spirit. They're, every organ has an emotion that's attached to it.
0: And so do you talk to your clients about the emotions? That oh, yeah. are attached? Yes, you do. Oh, yeah. Okay. So are there more acupuncturists that are more specialized in communicating and mental emotional stuff? Is that is that more of a specialty? Or do they all pretty much talk about the mental emotionals?
1: They all will talk about it <clears throat> how comfortable they are and kind of getting into it and making it. Um, an open place to discuss those things varies greatly. Okay. And so do you have an assessment
0: process that you do or oh, a specialization? Yeah. What, tell me about that.
1: Um, there's like the, well, Chinese medicine has these 10 basic questions that you go through <laughs> and it just kind of helps you determine is something excess deficient, yin, yang, hot, cold, um, interior, exterior, you know, it's just, there's a, a bunch of different questions that you go through to interrogate the patient to kind of understand what your diagnosis is. Um, So it's, it's just our diagnostic process. And um, mine, I would say has evolved uh, since I've been in practice just because of different modalities that I've studied. So um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard for me to discern what I'm doing at any one given moment, because there's a lot of layering that happens. Mm. And so What do
0: you love most about being an acupuncturist? The miraculous nature of it. Mm. And so, give me some examples of some types of issues and ailments that have been miraculous to you. Sure. So,
1: um, one of my favorite uh, patient stories was um, this woman came to me after she had suffered a miscarriage and she had lost the baby in her second trimester. So her um, OB, I want to say it was, or maybe a nurse had recommended that she get acupuncture just to kind of help the process of, you know, like clearing out the tissue and making sure that her uterus was um, optimal for trying to conceive again in the future. Mm. So she came to me very much just thinking, let's get some blood flow to my uterus, essentially. And, um, the emotion was incredibly overwhelming. She was devastated. It was her first pregnancy. Mm. Um, she kind of explained how, um, angry and sad her partner was as well. So they both started coming in for treatment and I helped them through the grieving process, which, you know, kind of had lots of layers of emotion and, um, and yes, we were working on her abdomen as well. So, Um, after some time they decided to conceive again and they got pregnant, had a wonderful, healthy pregnancy. And, um, when it was time to start preparing her for labor and delivery, the baby was breached. So, um, there's treatments that we do specific for turning breach babies. Wow. Yeah. And so, um, that's crazy. Yeah. So she came in and, um, and we were doing the treatments and the baby was not turning. And so at that point you just kind of go, well, there's a reason this baby's not turning Mm. and maybe we don't have all the answers and we just have to respect Mm. the divine nature here. So, um, I sent her on her way. She was going to have a C-section the next day. And, um, you know, I gave her some homeopathics for recovery afterwards and gave her some like home recommendations, um, on how to heal her body. And, um, the next morning, she, cause they scheduled her, I think it was like 6 AM or something to go into the hospital for her C-section. And, um, I gave her my cell phone number because I wanted to know how everything went. And, um, so she texted me and said, you'll never believe this. The baby's flipped. <clears throat> wow. So she was full term and like, it wasn't a small baby and the baby flipped. So what caused that? Well, probably a lot of things. Like what? Well, part of the work that you do when you're trying to turn a breech baby is the process of gestation is very yin. And so what you do is you use this point that kind of sits as the transition between yin and yang. The process of birth is very yang. It's very active. Mm -hmm. And so you're flipping um, the body into that, that mode, let's just say. So... Um, I think that was part of it. I think there was probably some connection between her and the baby. She really wanted to birth naturally. Mm. Um, and so I think the baby just, I don't know. Do you think that
0: the reason a lot of women have cesareans, I mean, there's several reasons, but do you think it's because the society as a whole is too young or yang? And that's why we're forced to um, we're kind of want a premeditated schedule, it time, get in, get out. Yes. <clears throat> yes. But when I look at that, and, and as much as I agree with that, I also think that the post treatment is much harder on a person who has a cesarean. So at the end of the day, you don't really win. No, you don't. Okay. Okay. And so you mentioned your her husband mm-hmm. came in to get acupuncture do most males do many males come to get acupuncture I see
1: a lot of men really mm-hmm. and what do men come in for oh my god everything really everything I have um a lot of times they'll come in for pain initially okay um but then you know they'll start opening up about things that are stressing them out you know quite frankly one of the things that you see a lot is that if somebody's got especially a man comes in with low back pain it typically has to do with relations, um, sometimes finances, and they, they present that a lot. So um, it's something that I have to talk to them a lot about how their emotions are showing up in their body. So you do, you're sort of like a psychi- psychiatrist too, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. You do mental emotional coaching in yeah. your practice for sure. Oh yeah. Which, okay. So you do the acupuncture. Sounds like you do mental emotion. You do nutrition too. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So you do nutrition. Mm-hmm. I know you've got a couple other success stories and I want to hear those. Oh, is there anything that acupuncture can't help?
1: Yeah. So um, one of the reasons why I started studying the, the Czech IMS stuff is because I've had patients who um, have had things like like a torn labrum and that type of thing. And I don't feel like I have the tools at my disposal to help them at this point in time. So it's things like getting them to exercise in a way that's going to reinforce the treatment that I just did. Okay. There's probably, you know, other acupuncturists who, um, you know, are cringing and saying, well, you could do Tai Chi and Qigong, but I never learned those things in a way that felt Supportive for athletes like myself and some of the people that I treat. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you decided to add the movement aspect Mm -hmm. as it relates to exercise. Correct. And do you feel like most of your clients are open to exercise and movement?
1: Mm, Maybe 30%. Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. I find I find that as, as well. And so acupuncturists that don't do what you've done, which is expand your education, what do they do? Just recommend
1: going out and walking and stuff? I recommend yoga, going to the gym, but not really with a prescription, like a specific plan of this is what you need to do for your situation. Whereas you and I both know that some people shouldn't be in yoga,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Okay. So go ahead and finish with, I know you've got a couple other success stories.
1: Yeah. So um, anyway, so with that um, patient, her baby turned full term. And what was most miraculous was that later on, they discovered that she had a heart shaped or a bi-horned uterus. So not only did the baby turn, at full term. So a big baby. Um, but the uterus size was compromised because of like a calcification on the uterus. So it managed to do something incredibly miraculous. Wow. Yeah. So those are the things where it's like, you know, I, I don't know what happened, ah. but it doesn't matter. I was there doing good work and she was there doing good work and everything just lined up beautifully. And so do you think the acupuncture had a lot to do with that success? Yeah. Okay.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool.
1: Um, And then, so what else did I give you in terms of another success story? Who did I have? I don't remember. All right. So I had, um, I had another couple that was coming to see me and um, she was like probably five, three, five, four petite little woman who loved running. And she was a very like high executive and um, used running as just her stress relief. So it was good for her. It worked out well. He was an ex football player, big guy, and, um, decided to take up running so that they could bond. So he takes, that's up- interesting. You think it'd be
0: the other way around.
1: Yeah. He was, I mean, they were a great couple super cute and, oh. um, he just wanted a way to connect with her. And oh. so it was, it was just great. I but know. anyway, so he comes in this big guy and he's taking up running <laughs> and he's competitive because he used to play football. So, um, he he starts hitting on running and it's killing him, but he's determined that they have signed up for this, um, this race in another city. It was going to be a vacation, all the great things. And um, so he comes in before the event and he's been really trying to uh, hang with her in terms of the running. He's slower than she is. Oh yeah. Uh And um, just doesn't have the endurance. So anyway, um, he comes in and he's got, a torn hamstring. Oh no. And uh, it's all bruised and really bad looking. it's hobbling. And uh, I'm like, you can't run this event. Like you're done. Like you, you got to call it quits. I'm not doing it. We're doing this thing together. And I was like, okay, you need to sign this consent like that I've advised you not to run. And now let me see if I can fix you and put you together as best I can. So
0: what was for the signed consent for?
1: That Acknowledge that I told you not to do this.
0: Oh, girl, you, yeah. think, you're thinking ahead. That's oh, good. Yeah, yeah. You don't want that, that tagged on your, no. your reputation. Yeah. So nice.
1: um, so he's like, yep, I understand. This is not the right thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Wow. Okay. So I pulled out all the stops. I was doing acupuncture. Um, one of my favorite things to do for uh, any kind of bruising is to use Tramiel, the homeopathic injections. Mm. So I injected into the hamstrings and then used moxibustion, which is a heat therapy that kind of um, promotes blood flow and that type of thing promotes healing. So I did that combination on him and sent him with, again, recommendations, that kind of thing, and sent him on his way. So he did. He ran the event, and it was horrible, but he got through it, and then he came in afterwards, and we did the cleanup. But but the point is, is he, you know, when somebody comes into you as an athlete, you know that they're not gonna sit down, you know? Like you can say all the right things, you can Mm -hmm. scare them. It's not gonna change the fact they're getting out there to do the thing. Wow, so what was the aftermath? I mean, did he ran the whole thing? He ran the whole thing, not (laughs) well, but he did it. And then, yeah, and um, I had him take Tremuel with him topically and orally, and then he got some, um, I'm trying to remember what he got. This was before CBD you know, oh. before CBD was a thing. But I'm wondering...
0: Would you have recommended CBD? Probably. What does that do?
1: Well, I like it more as like a topical okay. for pain.
0: Okay. So it helps people with acute pain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen a ton of success with it, taking it internally, but I know other people do. Okay. You know, I think to be honest, it's kind of overpriced and overhyped. Oh, really? Yeah. But again, I know other people do great with it. I just... I think that there's a lot of other herbs that work better. Okay, like what? Well, you know, for any kind of like muscle issue, I like magnesium. Magnesium's super easy, you know. And it's
0: not near as expensive. No.
1: Yeah. My dad
0: used the CBD when he was doing some twelve hundred mile bike ride and mm-hmm. his he had two knee replacements and he said it was the only thing that really yep. helped him. Yeah. Um, topical. Mm-hmm. And but he I did not mint. Oh, well, he didn't ask me either, but magnesium, mm. I didn't think I have that. Yeah.
1: So. And you know, a lot of the <clears throat> CBDs, the topicals anyway, they'll put things like camphor and menthol and it's like, well, is it the CBD working or is it those? Oh. Cause they work really good. You know?
0: Huh. Is there a certain percentage that you would look on in the ingredients that would determine whether that amount is pre- specifically CBD? That's the biggest and the most amount that's going to have an effect.
1: You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Just, I was just curious. That's a tangent. I, mm-hmm. I didn't need to go there. But <laughs> That's okay. You mentioned it and it sounded very interesting.
1: Yeah. i
0: oh, say, cool, cool.
1: Yeah. So that was another one. And then um, <clears throat> I do cosmetic acupuncture. And so I've had uh, cases come in that surprised me. Like I had a lady in her 70s who came in and um, wanted me to work on her neck. Her face was actually really well maintained, she had a long history of getting facials. And I think they did a lot of like facial massage on her and, um, but her neck had visible signs of aging, lots of like wrinkling. And she was a petite woman. It wasn't like she had lost a lot of weight or anything like that. Um, but yeah, we started doing the work on her neck and it worked beautifully.
0: Okay. Tell me like what, what do you mean?
1: Well, I have pictures like of, of <clears throat> patients like this on my Instagram and stuff. Really? Yeah. It, it's just like the dramatic results.
0: Really? And what did you do?
1: Well, I used a couple of different therapies. So I always use some cupping to kind of drain the lymph in the neck to make sure that there's no congestion there. And then um, I used Gua Sha, which is kind of like what, uh, like scraping is another term oh. for it. And um, so I did that that has like a lifting effect and then the acupuncture and some homeopathic injections.
0: So how long did she come to you that you saw then a dramatic effect? How many sessions? I think are- it was three Three sessions. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Okay. What's your, what's your Instagram? So we can tell it right now.
1: It's Acu underscore Amy, A-M-Y underscore G.
0: Okay. Yeah. Y'all can check that out. That's interesting. Well, that's, that's cheaper than getting a facelift or a neck lift.
1: Yeah. And it's not like you're not cutting, you know, I've seen a lot of damage when people do that, that cutting goodness.
0: So in your practice, uh, is there a, typical or a pattern of client that you see, we're going to talk about Amy's business and how she got to be successful at being an acupuncturist a little bit later, but right now we're just, we're dip, dipping into just being an acupuncture in the, in the client pattern of client that you typically see. Cause you work out of St. Pete <clears throat> winter park. Mm-hmm. Yes. So here in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and that
1: what, what's the difference in those two areas? What do you mean? Like St. Pete from Winter Park. I'm treating the same type of clients. Okay. It, it's um, just j- different locations.
0: Okay. We'll talk about why a little bit later. Mm-hmm. All right. So the, the typical client for you is what?
1: Probably like what I was diagnosed with, what we would call liver cheese stagnation. Really? hmm When I was like in- Like a like. Yeah. When I was in China, uh, the doctors always referred to this as Western stress.
0: Oh, okay. So you went to China? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that part of being acupuncturist that you went to China?
1: It's not required, but it's something that I had the opportunity to do. And I went, wow. How long did you go? I was there for, I think three weeks. Wow. Yeah. And what did you learn from China? Oh my God. Everything. Really? Mm -hmm. Like people are beautiful. Um, just, uh, yeah, the curiosity in which they looked at us, nobody looks like they belong there when you come from here, you know? Um, That was great. They were just very kind. Everywhere we went, it was like uh, they'd want to bring us water and just like host us. It was really nice. Oh, my gosh.
0: Hospitality
1: is. Exactly. Yeah. Do you find that
0: being an acupuncturist and kind of like Chinese medicine, do you find that you get a bit of um, prejudice, discrimination?
1: Yeah, definitely. And um, I'm not really mad about it, to be honest, because. there's a lot of secrets uh, that are passed down in different lineages of Chinese medicine. And they've tried to be really guarded and protect some of that ancient wisdom because Mm. when the communist government came in, they kind of made it more Western sounding, let's just say. So they started calling it TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. Mm. Um, So a lot of like the Taoist traditions and things like that are still kind of like folk medicine that aren't really taught in Chinese medicine schools. That's, that's another, um, field that you can kind of get into within the specialty you can get into. But, um, you know, I I just, I think that there's people who end up doing that, you know, they go to these more remote villages and study for extended periods of time. But, Mm. um, but yeah, I think it's okay to guard some of those secrets and not share them with foreigners. It's, it's, I don't know, to me, it's another level of respect. Huh. So when you, where do you
0: feel like the discrimination comes in your own practice?
1: Well, I mean, they'll never give me the, like, I won't, I won't get those secrets. Oh, <laughs> You know, I will never know some of those ancient formulas or some of those ancient protocols.
0: And do you, have you ever experienced someone, um, kind of looking down on you because you weren't Chinese, but you're not, yes, Chinese?
1: really? Oh yeah. And here's the thing is that it's not overt, it'll be something like, Oh, well I go see this person, you know, cause they're Asian. Oh my God. And I'm like, okay, cool. What makes a good acupuncturist in your opinion? Well, um, what I tell people when they say stuff like that to me or to anybody is like, just, do you feel like you're, you're heard? Do you feel connected? Mm. Do you feel like the person sees you and, and understands what you're putting in front of them? And if that's the case, by all means continue. It's funny, I was just a client recommended me to a,
0: I think they called him like a holistic doctor. I think they might do acupuncture. They do a lot of other things. But the one thing that she mentioned, she was like, it's a little old Asian guy. Mm. But really what stuck out the most was that she said, this guy, when you walk in the door, pretty much knows everything about you. Mm. And I thought, well, hell, I can do that. We all have the ability to do that. But that was the one thing that she hit most Mm -hmm. on, which, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I love that. Another, In other words, he's not really following a protocol. He's reading. He has the ability, Mm -hmm. the gift, the ability that we all have to read the body precisely. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the other thing Mm -hmm. that she mentioned is he's pretty accurate and like dead on. Yeah. Which- I think you could do that too.
1: Yes. The one thing I would say is that, um, Chinese medicine gave language to that for me. And so the questions that you start interrogating and just your observation skills of looking at somebody, Chinese medicine has a really good way of, um, diagnosing the body based on what you see, smell, hear, all of those things. And so, Um, I do think that Chinese medicine practitioners happen to be more skilled in that Mm -hmm. department than a lot of other modalities, but, um, I do remember one of the Western medical doctors at my school saying, these are all things, palpitation, um, palpation, listening, all of this smelling, these were all diagnostic criteria once upon a time in Western medicine. It's just gotten away from that. Oh, so I just think that it's still a big part of the practice in Chinese medicine. Hmm. So
0: how long is the schooling for becoming an acupuncturist?
1: It's three years. They take a four-year program and condense it down into three. So essentially you just don't get breaks.
0: Oh, so it's full, full year round. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is there a, is there a modality that you think works really well with being an acupuncturist?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I've studied a lot of different things. So while I was in acupuncture school, I studied medical intuition and I don't know Mm -hmm. how to really discern when I'm using that. And when I'm using Chinese medicine.
0: Oh, really?
1: Yeah. So there it's, what's that about? Well, it was with my mentor and she just happened to be one of the most astute, um, intuitives I've ever met. And so I wanted to be like her essentially right and um she taught a course and she was able to really break it down um and help you really feel see and and kind of um, have control over your intuitive senses because we do all have them mm-hmm. it's just a matter of kind of um like having control and trusting it i guess is really big
0: so for those that are listening or are may want clarity on when we say a medical intuitive or an intuitive what exactly how would you define intuitive Mm
1: -hmm. for me yeah what i what i do is i i get really present with the person and just listen Mm. and what happens is that i'll either get a sense. I'll see something, uh, I'll pick up on something that isn't really obvious in the conversation
0: mm.
1: and say it back to the person. And then you can kind of watch their acknowledgement of that.
0: Mm. Hmm. So is there, um, let me, as I move on, I, I, I stop, I'll stop myself. Is there a way that someone, that you would recommend someone gain or aspire to create more intuition? What do you think is, a, I mean, I know my way. Wait,
1: say it again. Where, if
0: somebody wanted to create more or increase their amount of intuition, what would you suggest?
1: Because mm. mm. you
0: mentioned trust before.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think practicing, like, like uh, putting yourself in a position to pick up on things and, and have it tested. Mm. So I guess that's part of like the training that I did um, was that we would, what she did was one of the um, exercises was that we would get information on a piece of paper about a person Mm. and we would just write down what kind of senses we were getting about the situation and they were distant. So like we had a lady in New York and it was like, here's an address. What do you, what is this? Like describe, wow. describe the house to me Oh, and you know, who lives here and like just kind of going through that. And then when we were roll, so I think there were maybe like six of us or something in the class and we would go through all of our details and we'd put them on the board and go, oh my God, they're so similar. Oh. how can that be? And then we would call the person because everybody that we worked on, we had permission. And so he would call the person and say, this is what we got. And they would describe it. No, Yeah, it was amazing. And so it starts to build trust. And you realize, I guess like the, the point of it was that she was trying to say, you know, so much more than you think, you know, that's
0: right. What do you <clears throat> That knowing comes from where? I don't know. <laughs> It's just there. It's the truth. I think it's, um. I think it's resonance mm-hmm. is the answer. Because when you, I'll give an example.
1: <clears throat> I'm not,
0: re- I don't like buying presents because I aim to like, please a hundred percent. And I'm always fearful that someone won't love what I get them. So every year at Christmas, I, I have to, my meditation strongly switches because if you were to ask people that I know, they will tell you she gives really good presents mm-hmm. It's because what I'll do is I'll take a person and I'll meditate on them for like 10 minutes. And my, before I begin the meditation, I'll say, what's the perfect present for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I just think about them. And then I take that meditation and throughout my day, I'll come back and I'll resonate and I'll say the name and I'll visualize the person and a present in Comes into my mind. It'll have two or three of them, and then I'll take the two and three and I'll meditate a little bit longer, and ultimately come up with what I define as the perfect present. Present due to um, is is that intuition by way of resonance, mm-hmm. because we have uh, the gift. We have the gift and the power to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's energy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Everybody has a sense of uh, a means of energy, and we can, with our own intentions, tap into that energy field, which is how and why energy work works.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think the most important aspect of it is imagination.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you need that part of it, which a lot of teachers, I think it was, I think it was young. Carl Jung talked about how, the power of someone's imagination being the ultimate gift to mm-hmm. creating whatever you want to create in life. So yeah, that's kind of what I think. Yeah. I, think, I like it. I think, I think, I think resonance creates intuition and then intuition creates whatever you want it to create. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you come across an illness or a dysfunction that you weren't able to help? And did you refer them out? And who would you refer them to?
1: Uh, Well, I think the thing that I have the hardest time not helping are when people don't want to do the work. Amen on that. Yeah. So whether that's, you know, like an injury or um, a certain internal health thing, like, you know, disease, whatever, like there's just can look like a lot of different things but it's when people don't want to do the work you can identify it clearly make them aware of it and they say it all the time you know I know I'm just a bad patient and I'm like what can we do about that Yeah, (laughs) because it's the hardest thing yeah how do you
0: how do you in your personal practice how do you get beyond that
1: well I've had to stop trying to fix people oh girl yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's Really, what it comes down to is, I just say, you see this? This is it again. Like, you know, if you just do this thing, you're gonna get better. Mm. You know, and And that's all you can do. Exactly.
0: Right. Eh, That's Mm -hmm. a. That's uh, one of the major things I talk about with students is Mm -hmm. the detachment. Yeah. Is being able to detach from the outcome. Yeah. Because we we are fixers. Yep. We want to fix. Unfortunately, that is a journey on its own. Not (laughs) fun. Great. That's awesome. Now, my big, what I have had this uh, thought in my head and I've had conversations with friends. I'm always, I'm very curious about tattoos. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about this before we actually aired tattoos. Give me the, 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 the nuts and bolts on Are tattoos is good. Do they cause blockage of chi within the body in certain areas of the body? does the ink cause problems? Is there certain types of inks that you can use? Like what, 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 what's your take on that?
1: I don't have a really strong thought one way or the other on them. I can see how they would cause an obstruction, but it's not something that when I've been working with a patient, I've noticed and said, Ooh, it's this tattoo. That's the problem. It's, it's not allowing me to get where I need to go mm. or do, you know, get things moving in you. That's good. Um, yeah. And maybe it's because it's just part of um, it's not part of like our language and we haven't, we didn't learn to assess them oh. and if they're obstructing things, but in terms of how I do assess the body and treat the body, I haven't noticed them as a problem.
0: Have you noticed from a more of a metaphysical standpoint? Cause I've, I've heard this mentioned before that the tattoo is actually a symbol that represents something within that person, or projects something within them. Have you ever correlated and put that together in your little toolbox of understanding a person?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think you can't help but notice that a lot of times when people are heavily tattooed, that they're looking for something. You know, oh, like really? it, it's like a signal, like you know of either covering something up or asking for attention or, I mean, putting artwork all over your body is, is a, is a signal, you know? And so it's a signal of something, you know? And and so I think it probably varies greatly on person to person, but yeah, I think when people put them on, um, there's, there's something that's trying to be communicated. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And
0: you just don't know what, I'm sure it's different it would, for everybody. Yeah, exactly.
1: I think it would just be different for everybody.
0: What does it mean when, cause I saw a guy from the mm-hmm. top, I mean, his whole head mm-hmm. down, I mean, his neck and all mm-hmm. my, I, I've never had a tattoo, so I don't know. Isn't it painful to get a tattoo? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what I thought. So to have like your whole head and your neck and your whole, like he I had, I had to stop and ask him about it. Cause I was so like amazed mm-hmm. that you could do your whole body in tattoos mm-hmm. and what that would be like. What would, what do you think in your opinion, what would that mean?
1: Well, I mean, I have the same reaction you do. That's gotta be painful. So oh, that you have to endure that kind of pain to signal yourself in the world. Like that's that to me is communicating a lot huh. or that you have to have, you know, that out there kind of uh, visual representation. Is that what you need to be seen? Like, those are all the things that I would kind of go into, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So what's your, what's your vision as an acupuncturist? What do you, what do you, what is your dream to do with acupuncture?
1: since I started, it's, it's been to show people what I feel like is the truth. Like you can heal naturally and, Mm. um, you don't have to suffer with things that Western medicine tells you, you have to live with, you know, there's no real cure for PMS, but acupuncture works. Mm. Allergies do great. Migraines do great. Insomnia does great. And so These are things that trouble a lot of people. And if you're not going to take a drug, you don't really have an option. There's some surgeries that they might try to do for like endometriosis and that type of thing. But quite frankly, the patients I've seen Mm -hmm. comes right back once they scrape it away. Really? Because they haven't changed the underlying Mm -hmm. cause. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is there, is there. Are there people, clients that have come to you that have gotten surgeries? Yes. Okay. What, what's the biggest one that pops in your head
1: um, that
0: they that didn't help, but then acupuncture helped it?
1: PCOS. Oh. So they've had the cysts removed and they keep coming back after their surgeries. And I'm like, well, that's because you haven't changed, you know, what's going on internally.
0: Your lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um just for the listeners who don't know what's PCOS.
1: polycystic ovarian syndrome. So you develop cysts all over your ovaries.
0: Yeah. And and so I a client has a niece that had that and bled first. She said it was like six weeks.
1: Yeah, and they usually have hormone and that type of thing kind of nested up in there. And so it's just a mess. It makes, you know, your cycles horrible, terribly painful, and it can make fertility a huge challenge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's just sacral plexus. Mm -hmm. So would you say that's basically also an energetic imbalance within that, within that energy wheel?
1: Yeah. I (laughs) I don't think you, I think um, I put PCOS kind of on the far extreme of like, uh, endometriosis. It's all what we would call like a chi stagnation. And once that chi is stagnant, Mm. it then develops what we would call phlegm. So phlegm, we take beyond the concept of like the lungs and sinuses, like that kind of thing. And phlegm can be just kind of like sticky, hard substance throughout the whole body. Mm. And so we would talk about that as like a phlegm. So even things like tumors, we would call phlegm in Chinese medicine.
0: Really? Mm -hmm.
1: And so, I mean, if you think about it, it's things become stagnant and then it starts to kind of grow a life of its own. Oh, like cysts. mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm.
0: So you talk about, um, how has your practice changed with COVID?
1: (laughs) Has it? It has changed. Oh, it has. I, um, I started out, I didn't want to do any kind of business. I it's not what I'm interested in. I like being a practitioner. And so I was working within different offices and feeling quite happy with my life. And then, um, some of the policies that came into play mm. because of COVID, um, just made it so that I didn't really have the choice, but to move out onto my own. And, um, thankfully like everything just lined up perfectly and I opened my own office. So you, you have, your business is you have your own place. Yes. Okay.
0: And when I mentioned COVID, is there, in other words, have you experienced patients that had COVID or in, does acupuncture have a remedy for that?
1: Yeah. We've had um, patients come in who have lost smell, taste, that kind of thing. And there's yeah. herbs that work really well for that. Oh, yep. And, um, nice. Yeah, and I mean just like the anxiety that people feel. Right? Yeah, because this is one of the things that I said to one of my patients last week because you know the kids just went back to school and um a lot of parents are highly stressed out because there's masks or no masks and vaccinations versus no vaccinations and everybody's super charged about it and I'm like I have another patient whose kid did get covid and was at home and I'm saying, how's, how's he doing? What can I do to help? Like ask me questions and I'll tell you what to take. And she's like, he's just terrified. And I'm like, that's not okay. What's he terrified of, of COVID that he's got this terrible thing. That's going to kill him. Oh my God. Yeah. A this, kid. Yes. And so it's like, how did we get here? Oh my God. And so I was telling the other patient, I said, listen, I'm like, you do the best that you can. And you just have to like not let your kids succumb to this crazy situation where they're mm-hmm. terrified. Cause the reality is, is they're doing quite well and most people do quite well if they get mm-hmm. COVID. Um, but the fear is creating a whole nother beast. I've seen, um, some of the worst hit are the parents that I treat of like 17 year olds that for some, some reason around that age, I've had, um, kids that were Baker acted and just, um, if people don't know Baker acting, it's basically when you have a psychiatric hold on somebody. And um, these are people with resources. Like these aren't people who haven't, you know, tried counseling and done all these different things, but the kids are just feeling incredibly lost and hopeless and it's terrible. The 17 year olds that have gotten COVID are feeling that No, way? no, no. Just 17 year olds. Like In that, general. Mm-hmm. Oh. That, and if you think about it, I remember being about that age And, um, you know, I, I had, I was an athlete. I had friends. I had a good high school experience, but I do remember it's kind of like that weird time where you're coming into your own as an adult, but yet you're still under your parents' house and rule and that type of thing. And so it's a strange time. And, you know, as a girl, like boys are looking at you differently, like all of a sudden it's just a weird space. I didn't, I don't look back at high school, like it's glory days kind of thing. Right. But, um, so it's a confusing time anyway. Yeah, And then you throw on this uncertainty about what their future looks like. So with COVID yeah. Right. So it's like, are they going to go to university? Like, is right. that even going to be a thing? Right. And what, what kind of careers are going to come out of this when people are losing their jobs all over the place? Yeah. So I think it, it's an incredibly hard time, especially for them. But when I heard about this little elementary school kid who was, super scared of having COVID. I was like, that's just not okay.
0: That is scary to hear. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, to, sorry that that happened. Yeah.
1: So your business, you're based out of where? Winter Park, and I also work out of a clinic in St. Pete. But
0: you're leaving St. Pete soon.
1: Yeah. You're going to be in Winter <laughs> Park. So
0: yeah. you're in Winter Park. So when you got out of school, just for the, for the people that are, are practitioners and they're growing their own practice, When you got out of school and you finished acupuncturist, how did you grow grow your practice?
1: Well, I, I knew that I, I didn't have um, anybody to rely on. I knew I had to make it. So, so I had to get to work and I was lucky enough to be offered a very rare position where I was salaried in, which was nice. So I had the opportunity to really learn and grow within an integrative practice where I didn't have to worry about like making it, I was going to, my needs were going to be met by my salary. Um, so I did that for, I think three or four years. So you
0: worked at a company that was holistic or integrated as an acupuncturist. Yes. Okay, good. So you got to uh, kind of collect your client base. Exactly. And then,
1: yep. And then, um, Mm. you know, series of life events kind of took me out of there. I mean, I felt like I was at like my cap of growth, to be honest. And, um, I had a dog that had just passed away and it was kind of like my only family in the area. So I took that opportunity to move out to Aspen, Colorado for about a year nice. to be where my brother and sister-in-law were. And um, so I did that for about a year and then I had to start my own practice out there because um, I was just starting new.
0: Oh, so how'd that go?
1: Well, um, I had actually moved because I was interviewing with the hospital out there that had an integrative cancer um, program. And so I was under the assumption. I was told I had a job when I got there, oh. they wished me well, I got there. And the woman who had hired me had been fired. Oh, yeah. So I get out to this notoriously expensive Aspen Valley and the job doesn't exist. And I was like, okay, oh my god, now what do we do? Oh, yeah. So, um, so I just started a practice and I found a way to make it work. And I, I did. So how
0: did you start a practice? You just opened up a place?
1: Well, I, I got established as a business and then kind of approached different areas that were looking for integrative practitioners. And so, yeah, so I moved in as a practicing acupuncturist in different lost space. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. yep. So once I did that, um, you know, I kind of, figured out how that whole thing worked. And then, and so part of going
0: to an integrative practice, you did you kind of like interview to see if you're like minded and and if there was a situation where you could refer business, is that how you got your clients? Like Mm -hmm. they refer people to you and you refer people to them.
1: You know, I don't even know Mm. how I first started getting clients Mm. um, because In every place I've worked, I can't say that there was a lot of crossover. Really? Yeah, it is sad. And I think part of it comes down to money. Yeah. Um, Because I had one of the reasons why I say I had met my growth uh, potential at the first office I was in is I had presented this whole idea of like an integrative care team. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I was like, we have such a huge opportunity in front of us. We just have to make it so that the patient can afford it. Yeah. You know? And so, anyway, I approached this thing, and and it just didn't match his business plan or something. So it it didn't work out. But um, but anyway, so yeah, I I didn't really get to explore that to the full capacity. But there were some that kind of could afford it, and they would get all the services. You know, like we had a naturopath, we had a chiropractor, I was the acupuncturist. Perfect. Yeah, medical doctors. Like we had all of it, and I'm like, this is this is how I would want to be treated. Exactly. But no, no dice. No.
0: And so then what made you leave Aspen?
1: Um, Ultimately, it's just not the environment for me. I, um, I find that the environment being dry was not comfortable for me. I could not get enough shea butter on my body. I couldn't, I had a humidifier going all the time. Yeah. Um, it was insane and not comfortable. Totally. Uh, the culture, you know, the people that kind of resonate with that culture weren't really my thing either. Mm. Um, I remember I had somebody. I said to me, "You're so East Coast." I was like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> you know, really. But yeah, I understand now what he was saying is that uh, I have a really strong work ethic and I tend to put work first most mm. of the time. They're very California, sort of like Leave recreation that. first. You know, it's a good powder day. We're just going to cancel everything. Oh, right on. And I'm like, "What? Yeah, no, you have people waiting for you." I
0: I, I call that. I don't call that work. First, I call that just really good customer service. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I'm yeah. so attuned to that thought process. Yeah. So East Coast, eh? That's called East Coast mentality. Yeah, I
1: think that, and um, you know, they wear a lot of like, uh, like Ray Bans and like mm, more active sunglasses. And I tend to wear like these big, <laughs> sort of fashionable glasses. Okay. And so, you know, I, I know that was something that was commented on. Um, My clothes tended to be a little more colorful than the neutral earth tones that they wear out there. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So
0: how did you know it was time to move back? How, I mean, did, were you, so you were only there for a year. So Mm -hmm. that sounds like that was pretty quick. Yeah. What, what gave you this sign that you just needed to go back East coast?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, the truth is I could have gone anywhere. I don't know why I just, I must love Florida because I keep coming back here. Um,
0: Lots of love about Florida.
1: Right. Lots of love. There really is. Yeah. Uh, well, there was, um, it had kind of been on my mind. Like I wasn't, I'm like, I already did this thing. Like I'm making it. in, like I said, the Aspen Valley, where it's supposed to be so hard and I was paying my rent and doing, yeah. you know, like I was doing all the things I felt like, and I also felt like I grieved enough. You know, I was actually like, I needed space when I lost my dog. Like it was just really, really sad for me. Um, and then I happened to be scrolling through one of my um, Facebook and I saw one of my friends posted a picture of Bella, my dog now. Mm. And, um, she looked so goofy. Um, she has this one wonky eye that was kind of bulging out, oh. and I went, "Oh my god!" Like I want her. Oh, yeah. And I knew, like, it's really hard to have a dog out there. If you own a home, it's not a problem. It's very pet friendly. But as a renter, you can't have a dog. Why? It they're just. It's just not. The haves and have nots are so extreme out in Aspen. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting place. But, um, but yeah, so I knew I wanted her and I knew I had to be someplace else. And, um, yeah, for whatever reason, I just keep going back to Florida. Huh?
0: Well, and Bella is here with us today. <laughs> She's currently on the ground licking something. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, every time Amy comes to, to my work, she brings Bella. <laughs> so it's, it's been wonderful to enjoy her. So you come back to Florida and you start your own business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how does, how does. How did you accrue clients that way?
1: Um, some of my old patients discontinued care, even though I had referred them to people I thought the world of when I left, um, like I would say like 90% of the patients didn't come back to me, but like, you know, they'd moved on. I'd been gone, you know, but, um, which is good. I mean, I want people to continue care with or without me, but, um, the ones that said, Oh, I tried so-and-so it just wasn't a good fit or no, I haven't done it because you've been gone. Um, when they came back to me, it was like, I started there. They would kind of spread the word to their people that Amy's back, go see her. And then it was like new people. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how a lot of people find me other than they just do.
0: Cause you're, you're not big into social media.
1: No. I mean, I, I definitely post some things and try to put information out there every once in a while, but no, I, I don't enjoy it.
0: What's the number one way you get clients then? If you don't do social media, um,
1: <clears throat> if it's not word of mouth, it's um, been through like my Yelp page where people have left me reviews. Oh, so that's where that actually worked out in Aspen too. So I took that with me and I just changed my address and I had all my recommendations and so people just kind of went from there.
0: That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And Yelp page, you have to pay for that? No. Oh my gosh! No, that's fantastic. Yeah. You
1: can like everything else, right? Yeah, sure. But no, I don't do any of those paid ads. No, no. For subscription or something like that.
0: Okay. So tell, tell our listeners before we get into our shotgun fun questions. Um, let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you. you. You are on social media. You're just not a big like advocate for your business. Right, right.
1: So on um, on Facebook, it's just Amy Gendron, AP, Acupuncture Physician. And on Instagram, it's Acu, A-C-U, underscore, Amy, A-M-Y, underscore G. Um, and then my website is just amygendron.com. Mm.
0: And is your, because my website is like my savior. What, how, what does your website do for you?
1: It's great because it has the link to schedule.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So it has more information um, about, it has testimonials and that type of thing. It has information about what acupuncture is. And it has some oh. pictures like before and after results with the cosmetic. Um, but honestly, like it's, those things are just not my thing. So it's not as up to date as it needs to be. Right. Yeah. I'm right there
0: with you. <laughs> I, I, I utilize my, my Facebook, I mean, my website, but It's not the most update update because I'm not a big fan of social media and that kind of thing, unfortunately. Okay, cool. So um, let's do our shotgun fun questions for you. Off the top of your head,
1: what is your favorite go-to sweet treat? Uh, A very dark fudgy brownie. Mm. Mm -hmm. Not cake-like, really fudgy. Fudgy, okay. (laughs) Favorite book? Uh, where the Crawdads sing would probably be my go-to right now. Why is that? Well, it, have you read it? No, it's a great book. She, um, the woman who wrote it, I actually did a, I, I went to her speaking somewhere and she's an older woman. She was in, um, science and I can't remember exactly what her field, something in nature mm-hmm. and, um, wrote this book. It just kind of intuitively was a nagging her over time. Wow. So her, uh, description of nature is absolutely beautiful and she took her time with it i think it took her like 15 years what? um yeah and the story is absolutely amazing so she just did, she did a really good job and the nature part of it speaks to me um yeah it, it was just lovely favorite movie um scrooged with bill murray okay <laughs> One thing you hold on to from your childhood? The kind of uh, magic that you felt around Christmas. Mm. The lights, the cold, all that mm. good stuff. Where are you from originally? Upstate New York. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing most people don't realize about you? How much time and effort I put into being still and kind of nurturing quiet time for me. Mm. Um, I'm very extroverted and I love being around people and I accomplish a lot in a day, but if I don't have my like eight hours of sleep, you don't want to be around me. Yeah. <laughs> you. It, so it's eight hours. Totally. Yeah. It's not more. No. Okay. There are times when I'll take more. Yeah. But no, for like every day, eight hours. One of the things that um, Amy Resonated
0: with me. If it's like we, I talked with Hallie Ringhan about the Enneagram. I I put that podcast on my website because it is a really good podcast, and it has to do with me being an Enneagram Type Eight. Well, when I first met Amy, like she, a couple words came out of her <laughs> mouth, and I instantly knew she was an Enneagram Eight. Which obviously, like attracts like, and I, yeah, I, I just dig her as a person and probably because I dig me. And so I dig her eightness. (laughs) So she's a cool cat. Um, Okay.
1: And nature, what does it do for you? So much. I mean, it inspires me. It humbles me. It it, like just stops me in my tracks, the raw power of it. Mm. You know, like here in Florida, we get hurricanes and I love hurricanes. I think they're so amazing. (laughs) Yeah. We don't,
0: we don't experience too many hurricanes. We we come close, but we never actually experience them. In
1: central Florida, we have gotten oh, quite a few. Yeah. the first year I moved to Florida, we had three. It was the year of like Charlie, Jean, Francis, I want to oh. say. I feel like at least in Tampa,
0: how far is Winter Park from Tampa? It's about two hours. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like we
1: get threatened quite a bit, but when it comes down to it, Yeah, nothing really happens over here. You guys get like that. But sometimes when they're coming up the East Coast, they'll kind of swing into central Florida.
0: Oh, so, yeah. Wow. Uh, Favorite part of your body? My butt. Your butt. Yeah. Now everybody's going, Okay, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And what does enlightenment mean to you?
1: Uh, Being able to move in and out of that communication with the divine kind of at will. Mm. what does that feel like well I think I've definitely had moments of walking in and out of that and it's like I want to get back into it more Mm. you know and sort of whenever I want without it's always snuck up on me Mm. you know interesting yeah
0: and do you think it's possible for for you to be very be there very long
1: I don't know Mm. I don't know
0: yeah just curious.
1: Yeah, I think if you spent too much time there, it'd be hard to come back.
0: You yeah, know. So
1: so sure. maybe not for that reason. Mm. As long as you've got work to do, it it probably wouldn't make sense for you to spend too much time in there.
0: So your your vision for yourself as an acupuncturist for the next 5 years is what?
1: Oh, well, I would say to start integrating the the check program into mm. my practice. Yeah. So ultimately, the way that I just think it would be so great to release somebody's tension and then go, now go do this. And you're going to stay in that position and then come back to me when you screw something else up because you're living amazing. <laughs>
0: right. You know, wonderful. I think yeah. I, at least I know, I know you're probably an amazing practitioner. Thanks for being on today and Thank sharing you. your story and sharing your business and sharing acupuncture with us. It sounds like if anybody's interested in getting in touch with Amy. She has her details. I'll put them on the show notes. If you also are interested in seeing them, which I'm a big visual person. So I enjoyed our time. Thank you.